Hey everyone, and welcome to the Homicide Homegirls podcast, a weekly true crime podcast examining the true crime cases that fascinate and intrigue us. I'm Arielle. And I'm Amanda. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to share the details of this wild episode with you. Hey listeners, it's Wednesday again, and you know what that means. My favorite day of the week. Just kidding, but really. Second favorite day of the week. Right. Wednesday means another episode of Homicide Homegirls. So, I was having trouble, uh, you know, picking an episode to cover today, um, but then I realized that, you know, this episode comes out the day before Halloween. Right. So, I thought it would be interesting to cover a murder that took place on or around Halloween. Yeah, picking episodes is not easy. It's probably yeah. it's probably the hardest part. Right. Yeah, for sure. I would think. Yeah. Yeah, because, and you never know until you get into researching and if it's going to be, like, enough, enough for a full or if episode. it's too chaotic or... Right. Yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah. So, I know we've been promising uh, for a while that we'd move out of the South and cover cases elsewhere. Well, today's the day. Yay. Uh, we're going north. Really north. Like, to Canada. What? So, our first... Our first non-U.S. International case, right? Look at us growing. Right. Um, Today we're going to talk about the 2011 murder of 18-year-old Taylor Van Deest. Oh, 18. Mm -hmm. Um, First, you know, we always kind of start with some background. Um, Taylor Jade Van Deest and her twin sister, Kirstie, were born in June 1993 to parents Marie and Raymond Van Deest in Canada. This this made me really sad, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean, it's got to be terrible to lose a sibling, but I feel like it's even worse to lose your twin, like a twin, like your, your literal womb mate. Like, yeah. Uh, I have twin nephews that are 13, and they are literally two peas in a pod. Right. They finish each other's sentences. They are right. ace and deuce. They want a thing too. Right. You know? So I get it. Yeah, it's just really sad. Taylor's family had nothing but really great things to say about her. Um, her aunt told NationalPost.com, quote, She was smart. She didn't have to work very hard to get good marks in school. She loved her mom and her sister, and they had a little dog, end quote. Aww. Taylor's cousin told the same website, NationalPost.com, quote, She loved horror movies. Halloween was her favorite holiday, end oh, quote. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I love horror movies, too, but that's not my favorite holiday. Right. Uh, Taylor's uncle told NationalPulse.com, quote, This is shocking. It was very devastating. For Armstrong, you're kidding. It was very horrific. It just took everybody by surprise, end quote. So is Armstrong the... It's the town. Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about What are they called? Like, in Canada, the uh, districts or colony armstrong is like the town oh, i think but don't don't they have the, the uh, british columbia is like the district i think yeah that's i don't i never yeah. understood that stuff and the mayor chris piper also reiterated the sentiment about the small town saying quote we're all sort of in shock that something like this could happen in such a small town end quote and for reference armstrong is a small town of about five thousand residents okay um, I actually looked up Taylor's Facebook page, and it was kind of eerie. Naturally. Right. And I didn't go far enough to find all of these, but one of one of the articles that I read, I can't remember which one exactly, said that in Facebook entries shortly before she was murdered, um, she wrote on her Facebook about, you know, 
typical teenager things, you know, looking forward to taking her driver's test in a week and getting her first tattoo. Do you get your driver's license at 18 in Canada? You I must. don't know. It must be 18 and not 16. I got my driver's license on my 18th birthday. Oh, I was like 16. No, oh, yeah. I'm not sure. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. <laughs> um, she also wrote about watching horror movies, taking naps with her dog, feeding ducks, being addicted to solitaire. Same. Same. <laughs> <laughs> um, looking forward to getting a job and recently having a, quote, pretty friggin' awesome night, end quote. Um... I also read that she had a boyfriend and she played in the school band. Okay. So she seemed just like a pretty well-rounded. normal, well-rounded yeah. teenager, you know. Um, so on Halloween night, 2011, 18-year-old Taylor Van Deest was walking from her home in Armstrong, British Columbia, or BC from here on out. Like, I'm not going to say British Columbia every single okay. time. Okay, thanks for Thanks for clarifying, because I'd be like, what are you talking about before Christ? Like, that, right. that would have been me. Well, I had to Google it, because a lot of things said Armstrong, BC, and that's exactly what I was like, before Christ, what is this? <laughs> and then I saw the same some, wavelength. And then I, saw, I Googled it, and it was like, British Columbia, and I was like, oh. I was like, but that's also confusing. Like, is this London? Is this, like, yeah. Britain? Mm-hmm. But anyway, no, it is Armstrong, British Columbia, Canada. And I looked it up. Um, British Columbia is the westernmost province in Canada. Province. That's, that's the word I was talking, thinking about. I guess province is like a state. Like, we have states in the U.S. Yeah, but they don't have that many. No, they don't. They don't they're like big. 50. They're, like, big. Yeah. Um, so... British Columbia, like I said, is the westernmost province in Canada, and it's just north of Washington State. Um, But anyway, Taylor was last seen uh, walking from her house in Armstrong uh, to a friend's home around 6 p.m. on Halloween night, and um, it said that they were going trick-or-treating together. Okay. Um, Being said it was Halloween, Taylor was dressed as a zombie. Aww. Which, I guess that tracks if she, you know, she likes horror movies and stuff. Um, according to a, a spokesperson for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or the RCMP, um, Taylor walked north from her home for about eight blocks before she was assaulted. Um, Taylor's family reported her missing, you know, that night when she failed to meet a friend to go trick-or-treating at 7.30 p.m. So she didn't even, like... She never made it. So, like, that was an hour and a half after she left. And, and she had also stopped texting. Like, she stopped responding to text messages. And, you know, teenagers are always on their phone. I mean, so this is wrong place, wrong time? I guess, yeah. Just the luck of the draw or unluck, unluck of the draw. draw right. Um, an Armstrong resident, Joyce Unruh, told cbc.ca that her daughter was texting Taylor on Halloween night when messages from Taylor suddenly just stopped. And, you know, I mean, if I was texting you in the middle of a conversation and you just stopped texting me, I would be really worried, Very alarmed. Um, Unra said that in her last message, Taylor mentioned that she was, quote, being creeped. Oh, no. Mm Mm-mm. Right. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah. So, two and a half hours after she left home around 8.30 p.m., witnesses found Taylor lying face down near railroad tracks that were running through Armstrong. BC oh and her head was resting on a steel pipe. Wait, that is so horrifying because mm-hmm. she was missing at what seven thirty. She stopped texting at seven thirty and was found an hour later. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, she was found only two and a half hours after she left her home. Oh my god. Right. Jeez, and that's that's scary. Like that happened quick. Right. A lot of times when somebody just they go missing and mm-hmm. aren't found for right. hours or maybe a day or so. Right. Like, and I don't think I said this, but she was alive what? when they found her. <gasps> Barely, but she was alive. Oh, right. No. So So she was suffering. Right. So after she went missing, you know, her family received a phone call from her phone, but it was from the strangers, you know, who found found her phone Mm -hmm. near the railroad tracks. So, you know, once they got that call, you know, her mom called the police and was like, you know, they found my daughter's phone or we're looking for her. Um, And then Taylor's family apparently tracked her down based on where her phone was found. Um... An RCMP officer testified that he met two of Taylor's friends and her mother, Marie Van Deest, by the tracks the night that she was discovered. Like, they, they went out there to look for her. Yeah, and they found her, and they were they were on the crime scene. Right. That's so terrible. Right. And she was, you know, she was rushed, rushed to the hospital, and um, according to the pathologist, um, she suffered six blows to her head. One of them fracturing her skull, which caused a severe brain injury. Oh, that's gotta be. And brutal. she later died in the hospital. That's so. That's so terrible. Right. Like that's. That she suffered. Per, it's so personal. Mm-hmm. Six blows to the head. Um, a nurse at the hospital had enough forethought to clip her fingernails and have them sent off for DNA. Good. DNA analysis. So, uh, keep this in mind because this will be important eventually and. Not just in helping solve Taylor's murder, but more on that later. You know, I gotta keep you in the end of seat. Y'all should see me rolling my eyes at this girl. <laughs> so, three days after she was attacked and then later died, like. So she died? She died the vet. No, she died, like, on Halloween night. So she, she died was that only, night. She was only hanging on for a few hours. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Um, so. Three days, you know, after she was attacked, police released photos of her and asked the public for information to help solve her murder. So, the pictures actually showed her dressed as a zombie. Right. That night, you know, so I guess... Because that's people how she could looked, recount Right, there was a picture that her. was taken before she left home. So, you know, I mean, somebody dressed as a zombie and, you know... I mean, it might trigger it, something if you saw Well, her if everybody's in costumes that night and right. you post a, a picture of her not in her costume, right. they're going to be like, oh, I don't remember seeing that girl. Exactly. Right. And we'll post a, we'll post a picture. And the other, you know, the, the picture showed the jacket, which was a pink jacket with a white faux fur collar. Okay. So, you know, like I said. Distinctive. Right. And like we talked about exactly what she looked like that night. You know, and, but... How helpful must that have been to have that picture? Because when people go missing, you generally don't have a picture. Like a school picture from two years ago. Right, or or you generally don't have a picture of what they looked like when they left their house. You know, so that's... Let me just tell you, I take selfies every day, so y'all gonna know what I'm gonna look like. (laughs) Except I wear makeup, so... (laughs) If y'all find me without makeup, maybe y'all won't recognize me. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, by the time police released these photos, just three days after she died, uh, they reported that they had received more than 55 tips. That's insane. Right. And they were hopeful that, you know, the pictures would help generate even more tips to help find the killer. Right. Um, 
So, so at that point, three days later, no leads. No. Prior so, to the tips. You know, police searched for Taylor's killer for five months before Matthew Forrester was arrested in Ontario, Canada on April 4th, 2012. And I didn't find much on like why he was considered a suspect in the first place uh-huh. so I wasn't really like I like I said I couldn't find that I don't know how they right so I have a question you said him. he was they were searching for five months were they searching for her killer or did they know who it was and they were searching for him they didn't just I don't know I'm, I'm not like a hundred percent sure um I'm pretty I think he was like on the run though. So I don't so know. So maybe it was how, a combination of both. Right. Like I don't know how early he was like for two months they were figuring out and then the other right, three like, they, not, they were I'm looking not. for. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, and like I said, I couldn't find like a definitive statement or anything on like why he was even considered a suspect. So right. I'm um, not I'm sorry I don't have that. So the not the fingernails? I like, don't know if like, it was the like DNA. DNA database. Like, I don't know. Like how? So you don't even know like how they got to the conclusion. Like this is our guy. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's crazy. I couldn't find it. That's insane. Now I might have just missed it, but I mean, nah, I read. You're pretty thorough. I read so many articles and I could not find anything that said like why, why they thought it was him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so. Matthew Forrester's trial began in March 2014 in Kelowna, B.C. So her murder was October of 11? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, yeah, like, he was arrested in 2012. But, you know, things trial, trials yeah, I mean, take a while. I, I just yeah. had to do that case. Right. I was three years old, so. Right. So, in a videotape statement to the RCMP, Forrester admitted that he murdered Taylor. Just up in, like, yeah, I did it. Well, not originally. I, w- I want to say um, it was like took like two hours. Oh, um, it do- it took about two hours. Yeah, but that's still but pretty eventually, quick. That's still pretty. Yeah. Um, and according to CBC.ca, which I'm assuming .ca is like .Canada, Canada, Canada like Canadian, .us, like .us. Oh. So like I, my side business. I don't want to. What? Cincy. Oh, my, gotcha. My website's .us, so. Oh, gotcha. But we do have Canada, so they have. I to say, what are you talking about? I, I mean, I wasn't going to use this opportunity to advertise, but I guess I am. <laughs> are you allowed to do that? Yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> um, so, according to cbc.ca, Forrester was openly sobbing in the video as officers were telling him, you know, how, basically, your family members are worried about you and you need to take responsibility for what you did to help repair the relationship with your family and so it took about two hours, but eventually he admitted he was drinking and smoking marijuana on Halloween night, 2011. So... Did it specify if it was, um... What's that word? Like synthetic? Yeah, yeah, that's the word. It didn't say synthetic marijuana. Because oh, sometimes so. that, that stuff makes you yeah, crazy. I mean, right. I don't know personally, like, from experience. Right. I'm smoking it, but 911 calls were crazy oh yeah yeah and i've recently listened to a case when somebody was on synthetic or bath salts or whatever synthetic marijuana oh, bath salts are even worse yeah it was just terrible but just so yeah don't do drugs it's red ribbon week guys so yeah don't stay do drug free don't do drugs <laughs> anyway but yeah i'm pretty sure it was just like plain old marijuana okay the regular leaf. the actual weed you know god's green creation 
The devil's lettuce. <laughs> all right, my brother says that all the time. What? The devil's the lettuce. The devil's lettuce. <laughs> so, when the police officer asked Forrester if he feels bad for killing Taylor, he replied, yes. He also admitted that if Taylor hadn't fought back, she would still be alive. What? Mm-hmm. That sounds dumb. You, you'll you see. I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on exactly what happened, but... So... His taste. So statement. okay, he's he, see he's saying he's remorseful, but it, is his actions saying he's re- is he truly remorseful, or is he remorseful because he got caught? I th- I think he's he's sorry because he got caught, and I don't know if he's actually. I mean, he ran. Well, I don't know if he's actually capable of remorse, but you. Oh, there you go again. I know. Will you keep trying to jump the gun? I know, cause I'm an investigator. <laughs> so his tape statement was shown in court to the jury and everyone um so and this i found this so weird he admitted to the rcmp in the tape statement that was going to be shown in court that he was responsible for causing taylor's injuries that killed her but he pled not guilty to the charge of first degree murder in his trial that's up for interpretation though yeah. Cause it's and I know people recant confessions all the time. It, that and, and the legal article, the way the wording mm-hmm. is, I mean, he could have been responsible for her actions, but it was manslaughter, which we know it wasn't. The girl was just, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. right. If if they could find one flaw in that statute, mm-hmm. they go plead not guilty. Right. And so, remember how I said, you know, he said if she wouldn't have fought back, she'd still be alive. Yeah, that's the part I want to hear. And I'm going to go more into detail, but I'm about to talk about it a little bit, so I kind of feel like I need to set the groundwork for it. There you go. He basically went out looking for someone to have sex with. I was about to ask. And he came across her, and she fought back. You know what? Good for her. And so he hit her over the head six times with, I think it was a flashlight. Like I said, I'm going to talk about it. No, there was no evidence of sexual assault, I don't believe. Like I said, I'm going to talk more about it. I feel like I'm all over the place today. But That's because of me. Because <laughs> you want to ask all yes. questions. I take all questions. full blame. I take full blame. So, early in the trial, the judge made sure that the jury knew, you know, a killing committed during a sexual assault is or an attempted sexual assault, that's considered first-degree murder. That's how it is in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. That's how it is in Canada, too. Um, everybody thinks, at, well, at least in Louisiana, that uh, premeditation is... The first, only prerequisite for first-degree murder. Yes, and that's not true. Oh, okay. It's in the state of Louisiana, it is, because that trial had to testify in, he was um, being charged with second-degree murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's like, why isn't it first? It was premeditated. Well, you have to be committing another felony while oh, committing murder. Okay. So I'm breaking into a house... With a gun, so it's aggravated that burglary. Somebody's home and I kill him. So it's kind of like a double it's first whammy. degree. Yes. Okay. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. Everybody. Always with the facts. Yes, girl. Yes. Um, Receipts. So, so in Canada, a conviction of first degree murder carries an automatic life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years. So that's just like automatic. It's not like in the U.S. where I think it varies. You like, can... Like, um, like a good behavior, right? Like I feel like in the U.S. it varies on like a case by case basis, like the sentencing, mm-hmm. and, and like life sentence, but with or without parole. I like that that there's just, a schedule. 
that's what that's kind of what they like call in Canada. like um yeah 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 like um like people say why does he have such a low bond because it's a schedule it's set mm-hmm. by the judge's schedule like mm-hmm. it's it's not favorite that's just how it is mm-hmm. because and, of, you know and that's how it should be yeah equal for you know like the yeah. same yeah. now i'm sure like if there's like more than one crime committed it that increases that affects, it, but but right i mean it sucks but that's the judicial system right so on the second day of the trial Forrester's legal team filed an admission in court admitting that he caused the injuries that eventually led to Taylor's death. So, following this admission, the judge instructed the jury that they can now consider this a fact in the case, that Matthew Forrester inflicted the injuries that killed Taylor. But he pled not guilty. So I'm like thoroughly confused. But I don't understand criminals. Yeah. So, well, I guess maybe he wasn't pleading because it was first degree murder. I mean, you know, but it was. Oh no, it wasn't, because they they filed the same statute as Louisiana, where you have to commit another crime. So technically, he was charged with first degree murder. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And a lot mm-hmm. of and it's hard to prove first degree a lot of the time, so they just automatically go for second degree. Right. So so, so that's why he was. Pleading mm-hmm. not guilty because he wasn't committing. Right. But he was. He says he was. He was if he was attempting to rape her. Right. Right. So, but he did not testify, and his lawyer. He's didn't probably call, lucky for that. Yeah, and his lawyer didn't call any witnesses. That that seems odd to me. Like I know most people don't testify in their own defense because then that opens you up to cross examination and self incrimination. Right. But to not call a single witness. That's for your upset, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you could try to call a, a doctor or a or anything. Like in the case that I testified, and they called um, a like a, a relative or a um, the character yes, witness or yes. something. Yeah. So, um, Forrester's defense lawyer told the jury that his actions the night of Taylor's death should be classified as manslaughter, not first degree murder. Which that's absurd. At the How very do you prove that? How do you prove that? Second degree. I don't know how you would prove that, but, you know, she she continued by saying that um, Forrester um, wanted to have sex with Taylor, but when she fought back and resisted, he pushed her down, which resulted in her hitting her head on a steel pipe. That's... It, okay, but if somebody resists and doesn't want to have sex with you, you walk away. That doesn't away. classify it as manslaughter. No, it doesn't. No. I know, that's stupid. I don't, I don't know. Like... You don't push them down. Like, you walk away. That's rape, sir. Yes. In case you weren't aware. No yeah. means no. Right. And then the lawyer continued by saying um, there could have been a sexual proposition that didn't, quote, go very well, but all of that was possibly consensual, end quote. What? Oh, that makes my skin crawl. Like, I don't even remotely understand that statement. They're trying to say... What, what, what was she trying to accomplish? Like, she was trying to say that... Taylor possibly seemed like she wanted it. And then changed her mind? And he got mad? I, or didn't change her mind in that... You, you see what she I'm, is They're trying here. to victim blame her. Well, she's not here to defend herself. No, and that's, that's messed disgusting. up. Yes. Ugh. So, um, I thought this was interesting. The Crown is apparently the Canadian equivalent of, like, the U.S. prosecution. So, like, the DA. 
Yeah, like the crown. But yeah. the crown, I guess, because they're not a democracy, I guess. I guess. But anyway, so the Crown called 16 witnesses to Jesus. testify. Right. Um, included in these witnesses was, you know, one of the RCMP officers that responded to the scene of the crime who told the jury that he found a metal pipe next to Taylor's body. And he continued saying that um, Taylor's family and friends rushed to her side before she was taken to the hospital via ambulance. Um which I can't even imagine, like, being what, on see, scene uh, for that. Like, her mom, I'm pretty that, sure her mom that and her image sister really will forever be etched in her brain, their brains. And he isn't very smart. Um, no. He probably left a ton of DNA and... Well, under her fingernail. And the murder she, weapon. Right. Laying next to her. Well, actually, I don't know if the steel pipe was the murder weapon. I think that's what he's saying she hit her head on. But I don't think that was the murder weapon. I think the murder was weapon was the flashlight. Was the steel pipe in the ground? I don't know. Kind of like... Let's see. I don't know. It says he found a metal pipe next to her body. Oh, okay. So, another witness that testified was the nurse that we previously talked about. With the nails? Yeah, who took care of her, of Taylor at the hospital. And she testified that... Taylor had very severe brain injuries and was very ill upon arriving There's at the hospital. There's no way that she got that amount, like, that, that extensive of, of injuries just from being pushed down onto a pipe. Right. Six times. Like, yeah. you're going to hit your head six times. And, yeah. No. Absurd. Um, so the nurse further testified that, you know, she clipped Taylor's fingernails, collecting them for future DNA analysis, which that is Kudos to her. And I'm sure that's probably protocol, you know, for victims. Maybe in Canada. (laughs) It needs to be protocol everywhere. Um, So a third witness was a forensic pathologist named John Stefanelli, who showed the court photos from Taylor's autopsy. And he, which her family was there and had to see all of this. Like, I Oh, that so was sad. a that was a point when I when I was in court a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The daughter was there, so yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So he he testified that Taylor was choked and hit hard on the head six times, and that one of the blows was hard enough to fracture her skull. Oh my gosh. I mean, your skull is pretty 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 thick. Yeah. You know. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying. To, <laughs> well, I'm not trying to like make a joke. No. Legitimately, it is. So it, I mean, yeah. the force that it takes to actually fracture it has got to be like overwhelming you know yeah so stefanelli continued that taylor had marks on her neck which indicate she was strangled with something long long and thin like a piece of string or a necklace or a cord or um and taylor also had defensive wounds um proving that you know she was she fought Mm -hmm. um she had a broken finger and bruising on both of her hands wow and according to stefanelli Blunt force trauma from the blows to her head caused the injuries, which ultimately led to her death a few hours after her attack. That poor baby. I know. Finally, Stephanie testified under cross-examination that there were no apparent signs that Taylor had been sexually assaulted. So you asked about that. Yeah, so... Uh, maybe he just got mad and he never, beat her and he never... And I, I mean, I guess that's better than, um... was it, like... Assaulting her after she was dead, you know? Like necrophilia? Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's terrible. I know. 
So, in order to support, you know, the charging Forrester with first-degree murder, the Crown argued that the fact that he hit Taylor six times in the head with a heavy flashlight, and then he tightened a shoelace around her neck, and then he drove to Vernon, B.C., which is about 15 miles and like an 18-minute drive from Armstrong. I, I looked it up. Uh-huh. So, you know, he drove 15 miles, 18 minutes to throw evidence in a dumpster. So, according to the Crown, that leaves little doubt that he intended to murder her. Like, he was getting rid of evidence. <sighs> but I can also see the flip side. Like, I'm maybe you, first he just degree, freaked out. First degree is tough. Yeah. You know? Now, and you know, the... Um, the pathologist testifying that there were no apparent signs that she had been sexually assaulted. It that's almost what made eliminates it the that first factor. Yeah, right. So, um, overall, the admissions of fact that were agreed to by both the crown and the defense included um, a determin a determination that the last outgoing text message sent from Taylor's phone was that she was being creeped, as we already Air talked quotes. about, right. Uh, or followed, and um, so, you know, they agreed to that. Um, not to mention that the DNA that was found under Taylor's fingernails was eventually matched to Forrester. So, at the very least, she had some kind of interaction with him right. for him to have, her to have his DNA under her fingernails. Yeah. So, um, both the Crown and the defense, you know, eventually gave their closing arguments, and According to the Crown, um, Forrester followed Taylor to a secluded area of Armstrong with the intention, the specific intention of raping her. What? Yeah. So that's what the Crown prosecution said. So, and when she fought back and screamed, Forrester smashed smashed in her head with the heavy flashlight. So, in direct contradiction... The defense lawyer claimed her client only wanted consensual sex with Taylor, but when a scuffle ensued, Forrester pushed Taylor, which caused her to hit her head on a steel pipe on the ground. Oh, so apparently the steel pipe was just on the ground. But you didn't hit your head on a steel pipe on the ground six times. And I'm sure, like, if you fell on it, it would, like, just fly, you know? Like, right. it's, it's not going to stand there all strong and ready for you to just... Beat your head Yeah, on exactly. Right, by falling, right. Um... So, the victim's mother, Marie Van Deest, called the theory laughable. She told CBC.ca, quote, I think it sounds a little too far-fetched and unrealistic for anyone to believe that it could actually happen that way. It was what it was, and I think she'd be hard-pressed to sway that jury otherwise. I'm quote. with her. That, it is it, laughable. That's exactly what we're talking about. Like, really? It's she ridiculous. Fell? She fell? Yeah. Really? Like, come on. So, after a two-week trial... On April 5th, 2014. Oh, wait a second. Wasn't he arrested? Oh, he was arrested on April 4th, 2012. So, so a little over two years after he was arrested. The jury found Matthew Forrester guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Taylor Van Wow, that's impressive. But it's not over. Oh, you so much. Right. So... According to a video posted by CBC News on April 5th, 2014, which is, you know, when this when this all happened. When they got the verdict. Right, when the verdict came out. Um, Taylor's twin sister, Kirstie, and her mother, Marie, had this to say. And I'm going to play just a little, a little clip from the 
um, from the video. So let me pull it up. Okay. At least we got the best outcome we could have gotten under the circumstances. We'll never bring her back, but um, at least now um, no other girl will meet the same fate that she met. And um, yeah, we're just happy that that animal is, is going to be off the streets for a very long time. Not long enough for me, but it'll suffice for now. That's so sad. I know. But I know. And I they're optimistic, yeah. like, you know, given the circumstances, they can't change what right. happened. Right. And like I said, that's not just her sister. That's her twin. And her that mom. That's her twin and, and her, her mom. mom. Right. Her twin was the one who talked first. Okay. And it was her sister. And um, her dad uh, was also interviewed. He was, you know, he was interviewed about this in the same video. Um, and he wanted people to know that what happened to Taylor, you know, can, can really happen anywhere to to anyone yeah. you know it, so I'm gonna play a clip of him too because I, I thought it was important just you know for us to hear her family yeah talking you know about what happened to her mm -hmm. it's just, oh it's so sad it doesn't matter where you are you know I mean you, you hear people saying this well that'll never happen here no it happens anywhere and everywhere even in a small little town like Armstrong probably in a small little town like uh, Enderby you know things like this happen anywhere and it's true. It's true. I because mean, the crime is, has increased everywhere. Mm -hmm. And where I'm from, they're like, oh, it didn't used to be like this. I want to move away. That It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know? And I, you just might overlook it or not pay attention to yeah. it. I mean, or it might not be as publicized. And it may have not happened there yet, but it will. I guarantee you, anybody listening to this, Google your town, murder, abduction, kidnapping. Some, something has happened in your town, whether you think, whether you want to. What, yeah, you want to so believe it or not. Our sheriff like, sends out an annual crime report with the statistics oh, of really? burglaries, murders, whatever. Oh, okay. So maybe that's something you guys could look, look into. Yeah, I'm sure most sheriff's offices yeah. probably put a report like that out. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, I mean, being aware probably would be Yeah, it happens helpful. Everywhere. I mean, it, it does happen, happen everywhere. Um, so, so this is where it, it gets kind of crazy. What? Yeah. It been crazy, girl. Well, you say that all the time. <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's going to be our first merch item. <laughs> it, it been it crazy, crazy girl. girl. Yeah. I said it here first. <laughs> so, in addition to Matthew Forrester being found guilty of first-degree murder, his father, Stephen Forrester, was also charged in connection to Taylor's murder. So... Matthew's father, Stephen, pled guilty in May of 2014, so just about a month after um, his son's trial ended. So, like, they knew he was involved the whole time. Right. Okay. Well, not directly involved in the murder, but, like, after the fact. So, in May of 2014, he pled guilty to being an accessory after the fact, and he received a three-year sentence, which apparently, I think he had gotten arrested in... Um, 2012 as well, like when his son got yeah. arrested. So I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, accessory and principal, they sound like the same thing, but they're not. Mm -hmm. I think principal would be if he... Is actually involved. Involved, and it, I think it carries a higher penalty. Mm -hmm. um, accessory, it would be something like... Accessory after, after the fact. fact. Yeah. Right. But principal is like you were involved at the time, not Whether, after the fact? Yeah, or? like you were present. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Um, so according to an article on VancouverSun.com, between November 2011, so right after, she was October 31st, October 31st 2011, mm-hmm. so between November 2011 and January 2012. So that's about three months. Mm-hmm. Stephen Forrester quit his job as a truck driver, collected his son's belongings from a rental apartment, and then lied to the police. To protect his son, conceal I guess. Him. Yeah. But it didn't stop there. But wait, there's more. So, according to the Crown, Stephen Forrester paid $500 for a driver's license, a social insurance number card, and an old bank card that he then gave he gave to his son. So, like, he is... Counterfeit. Fraud. I don't even know. Apparently, during calls on prepaid cell phones... Burners. <laughs> burners. If you have a burner, you are suspect. Yes, as hell. Right. I almost said that. <laughs> so, Forrester told his son to get rid of the purchase identification, switch around, like, social insurance number digits when applying for jobs in Ontario, um, and that his dad, like, I'm going to try to get you another, like, a new ID. Wait, so he's a con artist? Mm-hmm. So, I'm assuming a social insurance number is, like, our social security number in the U.S.? Yeah, so, they, like their it. insurance it, it, it is way like better there. Just <laughs> FYI. I don't well, know if that... But he says to change around the social insurance number digits when applying for jobs. So, I'm assuming it's, like, a... A social security number. number. Right. So... So, between March 25th, 2012 and April 3rd, 2012, and if you remember... Matthew Forrester the was fourth. arrested on the 4th. For sure. April 4th, 2012. For sure. Um, hey, isn't April 3rd Lizzie's birthday? Happy birthday, Lizzie. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not your birthday. But yes, that is her birthday. Um, so between March 25th and April 3rd, 2012, what is that, like a week? Roughly. Roughly mm-hmm. a week. Police intercepted three phone calls and heard Forrester tell his son not to call him at home anymore and to lay low because it was, quote, Hotter than a firecracker, end quote, due to police surveillance. So I guess the, he was... The block was hot. The block was hot. <laughs> Wait, so they had been on to him? Yeah. I'm not sure how. Like I said, I don't... Wait, so this is the day before he was arrested? Mm-hmm. They... Man, they good. Right? So, after his arrest, Stephen Forrester told an undercover officer in his jail cell that he'd found a tracking device on his vehicle. So that's how he knew, like, the cops were on to he, him. That's, that's how he knew the block was hot. <laughs> I can't stand you. In the um, famous for, words of Wheezy. <laughs> obviously, we're from Louisiana. Um, so, Forrester and Stephen Forrester, like the father... Um, yeah, you have to specify now. <laughs> so, he said he knew what he'd done was wrong, but that he would have taken the fall for his son. Look. My daddy. <laughs> my daddy would never. No. Look, I love my kids, but they better not expect me to take the fall for them if they get into trouble with the law. I ain't doing a dime for nobody. Mm-mm. I ain't even doing I ain't even do the nickel. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, that's not happening. You just, I would turn my own kid in. I don't even care. I, I've turned family members in before. I think we've talked about that. I'm ratting. <laughs> Y'all better not tell me nothing. nothing. Um, so, yeah, that was just kind of like a little like, crazy. Like, he, his dad was all up in it. 
my daddy would be disappointed. He would love me still. Right. But he would tough love me. <laughs> like, like my dad would probably still come see me in jail. My yeah. daddy might put some ramen noodle on my books. <laughs> in your commissary. Yes. So, as most people convicted do, Forrester filed and Forrester now... Stephen? From here on out, no. From here on out, Forrester will be Matthew Forrester, the son. So so we're done with the dad. So, so the dad slime daddy, three. Slime, slime daddy did his time and just slime daddy. <laughs> yes. Where do I come up with this stuff? I don't know, but Lord. So <laughs> Matthew Forrester filed an appeal in September of 2014. I think that's my most disliked word. Appeal. 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 Really? I hate appeal. Like it, n- not because of the word, but because of the like. Like, doing the, these cases and stuff. Oh, like, yeah. I just hate that word. That and, like, plea bargain. <laughs> so, Forrester's lawyer alleged that B.C. Supreme Court Justice Peter Rogers made mistakes in his instructions to the jury, um, having to deal with the into- his intoxication and at the time of the murder and on the attempted sexual assault as an element of first-degree murder. Um... Because, like we already said, the question of sexual assault or attempted sexual assault is the difference between first and second degree murder. Or first degree murder and the lesser charge. Wait. So, if it was attempted or not attempted? So, if there was sexual assault or attempted sexual assault, like you're attempting to commit another crime Uh while you murder somebody, that would have been first degree murder. So, like, the element of sexual assault is the difference between... First degree murder okay. and a lesser but charge. But I, I thought you meant me like if it was definitely sexual assault, it'd be first. If it was attempted, it would be. But no, no you're either meaning, one. Either one, it's first, and then mm-hmm. the lack of would be the lesser charge. Right. But they're right. trying to say this consensual, right? Um, and I'm I'm guessing because well, you're bringing they, up intoxication, right? And and they're alleging that the Supreme Court justice that was assigned to his trial, you know, made mistakes in his instructions to the the jury. jury. Right. So in March of 2017, a panel of BC Court of Appeal justices agreed that two of the five issues raised by Forrester's lawyers were enough to grant him a second trial. Oh, no. Right. See, I told you I hate the word appeal. Right. So BC Court of Appeal Justice Harvey Groberman wrote in his decision, quote, the judge's instructions on post-offense conduct might have led the jury to believe that it could treat Mr. Forrester's act of disposing of the flashlight and shoelace as probative of an intention to kill Miss Van Deest, end quote. For those of you who don't know, probative means having the quality or function of proving or demonstrating something, affording proof or evidence. So, so like, basically, like, probation. Like, like, is it really like it's relative? Proof. Like, it's proof. Okay. Yeah, like, basically, what this um, Court of Appeal Justice is saying is that the judge's instructions um, could have led the jury to believe that because Mr. Forrester disposed the flashlight and shoelace, that's proof that he had an intention, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily the case. Right. So, Justice Gerberman continued... Quote, the instruction appears to have been given inadvertently as the judge had agreed with counsel that it would be corrected before delivery, end quote. So that apparently they had discussed it. 
and he wasn't supposed to deliver it the way that he did because mm. it's misleading. The trial judge also failed to give the jury careful instruction to ensure that it did not use Taylor's last text message as evidence of Matthew Forrester's state of mind. So were they wanting to suppress that piece of evidence or they didn't, you said they didn't want it to not that reflect? They wanted, yeah, not that they wanted to suppress it. They still allowed it to as be evidence. in. The judge was supposed to tell the jury, you know, you're not supposed to use her last text message against him, you know, as his state of mind. Because you don't know if she was talking about him. I mean, it's vague. Yeah, it's vague. Like it's, I feel like it's likely that she's talking. But I mean, this is also like if 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 it would have been a text message from his phone saying, "I'm creeping this girl." Right, and then she said she was being. That's proof. Yeah. So, however, there would be no retrial as Matthew Forrester pled guilty to second-degree murder in March of 2018. So, he just, he didn't want to go through it again. Right, and which So, this trial wasn't going for first degree again, or it was, and he just pled to he, the lesser? No, I don't think they were seeking first degree. I think they were seeking okay. second degree. Well, so that's he, crazy. Yeah, so he just pled to second-degree murder. Um, and apparently both first-degree and second-degree murder mm-hmm. carry a sentence of life imprisonment mm-hmm. in Canada. However, parole eligibility Isn't typically comes sooner when you're convicted of second-degree than first. murder. So on June 5th, 2018, Matthew Forrester was sentenced in Vernon Supreme Court to life with no eligibility for parole for 17 years. So instead of the 25. Yeah, yeah. So he's... So, Matthew Forrester will be 43 years old before he would even be eligible to apply for parole. How old is he when this happened? Well, I don't know. I was looking. 43? That's still That's still young. I think young. he was 28 when he was... That's I think he was young. 25 when it... Oh, 25 like when, it when it happened, but 28 and when he went trial. to trial the first time. Okay. Yeah. Because he's still going to be young when he gets parole. Right. Or when he can ap- apply, apply for, for parole. parole. No, that's if he's ever going to get it. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to take a second and kind of sidebar for a minute and talk about um, the death penalty in Canada. Because some of you may not know this, but Canada does not have the death penalty. Like they don't believe in... Th- there is no death penalty in a... I feel like I knew this, but I didn't know the background behind it, so I thought it would be interesting to look it up. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up, and according to a 2009 article I found on cbc.ca, Canada enacted capital punishment in 1859. Oh, wow. So they used to have the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And between 1859 and 1967, when a moratorium was placed on the death penalty, Canada had hanged 710 people. So from... So almost over over 100 years. Over 100 years, right. But it was not until... So, like, a moratorium was placed on the death penalty. So, like, they, like, stayed all the executions, I guess. In 1967. So was that there? Is that how they executed death penalty? By hanging? Mm -hmm. It wasn't lethal injection or the electric chair? I think it was hanging. Whoa. Right. So it wasn't until 1976 that Canada formally abolished the death penalty from their criminal code. 
when the House of Commons narrowly passed Bill C-84. So before then, though, Canada had kind of, they had like, I guess they were moving away from the death penalty because they had whittled down, you know, um, the number of offenses that were actually punishable by the death penalty, like by hanging, punishable Uh by hanging. Um, So originally, all murder convictions would result in execution. Oh, Jesus. Right. But in 1961, the charge of murder was divided into non-capital and capital offenses. Uh So capital offenses included planned or violent killings and the murder of police officers and prison guards. So is it like capital first degree, non-capital second? I guess, yeah. Unless it's a murder of a police officer or a prison guard. Well, that's first degree. I mean, I think that's capital punishment here. I think so, too. So the House of Commons brought up the issue again, but they voted 148 to 127 in favor of not reinstating the death penalty. So, as I already said, Canada obviously opposes the death penalty, and they will often refuse extradition requests to the U.S. What? Unless the U.S. prosecutors assure Canada that they will not seek the death penalty. I'm trying to think. And I think I've heard about, I've heard of that before. Yeah. I mean, we're on the South border, so, like, we've, like, I feel like our criminals don't, like. It's not just Canada. Like, a lot of countries that don't have the death penalty Mm -hmm. will not extradite people back here because we do have the death penalty, especially if their crime is something that would land them the death penalty. Um, I mean, you know, when people flee, they go to countries that don't have extradition for that reason. Mm -hmm. So... Sorry to go off on a little tangent. That's so weird. But like, I just I found that kind of You committed a crime. I don't. I don't get that. Hmm? I don't get the no extradition. I don't know. So I just. I mean, I found that kind of fascinating, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I have mixed feelings on the death penalty. Like I've historically been pretty pro death penalty. I don't know, but lately I'm just not sure. Like, I mean. I do feel like some murderers are so horrible that they deserve to die for the atrocities that, you know, they've committed. I mean, especially in the case of, like, serial killers, like, you've murdered umpteen people. De- um, Derek Tudley, Ronald Dominique. Right. The Neelys. Right. I would definitely say that, even though they, they only had two victims, but... But, I mean, I also feel like, who are we to decide who lives or dies, too? I don't know. I don't know. Are you getting all Bible on me? No. No, I just, I mean, I don't know, but, and, and, but on the same, uh, I mean, on the flip side, you know, death might be the easy way out for these killers, right? You know? Like, like they're put to death and they take their last breath and their suffering ends, but the suffering of their victims' families will continue like mm-hmm. indefinitely. So maybe it would be better to just give them life in prison so they can sit there and suffer and think about what they did. Yeah, but then the the for the, the, rest ar- of their the argument of appeal comes, you know, right? Um. I think it was with Judith Neely was a special case because that governor was a dumb a, um, <laughs> but you know then right. they're in if they're in prison they have the opportunity to appeal. That's true. And then and but then, you're but you're gonna but you're gonna they get the opportunity to appeal if they're convicted of the death penalty too because you have to exhaust all your appeals before they can. Right, and anybody. the other thing is the tax dollars paying to true. keep a roof over their head and their mouths fed for the rest of their lives, but yeah. they still have to pay for that. While they're awaiting death, and anyway. I mean, a lot of people just die on death row because they, it, it takes, takes so long. long. Um, Scott Peterson, 
is still on death row in San Quentin. I'm pretty sure it's San Quentin. And that was in what, 04? I think it was 04. Or was it 02? Maybe the crime was in 02. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I'm just throwing out numbers like I know what I'm talking about. It's been a while. Um, So, anyway, that was kind of a off on a tangent, but I just thought it was a tangent. That was very educational. (laughs) I just thought it was interesting. Me too. So, back to Matthew Forrester. This is also kind of nuts. So, a few months after Matthew Forrester's first degree murder conviction, so like the first one in yes, 20, 2014. The first degree. Yeah. Um, he found himself back in court again in December of 2014. Wait, so this is um, post-trial? Post post-trial for the, the first, the first trial. degree. Yeah, in 2014. So he had been convicted. He was in jail. Mm-hmm. He was in and jail. so he just had another court hearing for a different charge. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And remember I said that the DNA Mm-mm. would solve other other crimes? Uh-uh. Um, but this time, Matthew Forrester was facing charges of assault causing bodily harm and sexual assault. What? But these charges weren't related to Taylor Van Deese. So it's a pattern. Yeah. So these charges were related to attacks on two separate women that were committed by Forrester in 2004 and 2005. So, like, seven, eight years later? Six, seven years later? Like, but, but prior, prior. Prior to, yeah, Taylor's attack. And you're telling and me murder. that, and you're telling me that Taylor's death wasn't intentional and it was an accident? Right, exactly. Like, that's a pattern. You mm-hmm. have violent behavior. You're psycho. Right. So, according to an article on ColonaNow.com, in the early morning hours of October 19th, 2004, oh, that just, October 19th just passed, mm-hmm. um, Matthew Forrester, while wearing a mask, uh-uh. broke, in, broke into a then 19-year-old woman's home in Cherryville, B.C., which is actually his hometown, by the way. Uh, uh, wearing a stinking mask. Broke in while she was asleep in bed. He slammed her head against the wall with oh, such force. Where have we heard that before? Right. With such force that her head split open in two places and there was blood rushing down her entire body. Oh my God. That's violent. Very. He then ordered her to follow him and at this point I'm she... I'm sorry, she's bleeding out and you want her to, to, to obey your commands? Right. And she thought she recognized him as a friend of her brother's. Uh-uh. So... As she followed him down the hallway in her home, she saw a gun in his waistband and was rightfully terrified. I mean, if you see somebody with a gun, you're going to comply. I mean, you know, if you don't have any, like, way to defend yourself. I mean, especially caught you off guard. I mean, you were sleeping. (laughs) So, Forrester eventually left the home and the woman injured and scared. But besides, like, splitting her head open, he didn't sexually assault her. He didn't... And she lived? She lived. So she called the police and said that she thought the man was Matthew Forrester. What? And police interviewed him. His father, Stephen Uh, Forrester, mm -mm. gave police an alibi for his son, so the investigation went cold. Girl, I know you lie. Like I said, what I love my kids. piece of garbage. I love my kids, but... Mm-mm. Like, what does your kid owe you? 
So, oh, this is so sad. So, during a victim impact statement that was read aloud in court, the woman described the shock and terror that she endured during the assault. She was crying and trembling while reading the statement, and she said, quote, There was so much blood covering my body. My head was split open in two places, and I required so many stitches. I still suffer from what happened and have trouble sleeping. Oh, my God. I am fearful in public and at home. I had to move in with my family. I took a month off work. I was depressed and unhappy and had a cloudy mind, end quote. She will never get over that. No, and not to mention that he attacked her in her home, like the place, while she was asleep, the place where you're supposed to feel safe, you know? Oh, my God. So, about, that was in October of 2004. So, about seven or eight months following the home invasion, so this would be in 2005, Forrester went to the Garden of Eden Escort Service on Leon Avenue in Kelowna and attacked another 19-year-old. But this time she was a worker there. Well, I guess an escort. So the woman who was working alone that day, you know, encountered Forrester around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, She gave him a tour of the building, at which point Forrester pulled out a knife uh-uh. And while holding her at knife point, he demanded she give him oral sex. And then he sodomized her. <gasps> right. So, Forrester fled the business, but his DNA was left behind and recovered by police. I'm sure it was like a rape. They did probably did a rape kit, you know. Or, yeah. Oh, I mean. You know, and I'm glad that she reported him because so many times rape goes unreported, mm-hmm. you know. So, his DNA was entered into the DNA databank and sat there until it was connected to Taylor's murder. And it was ultimately that DNA that resulted in his arrest and conviction in Taylor's murder. So, oh, so there it is. So, it was the DNA. That's how they That's how they found out he was their person. He was their man. He was their suspect. Oh, so they had, they had the, the DNA from the rape. And then they had the DNA from the... The fingernails, right? And so, they realized it was the same person. Yeah. So, um, when and then they, I guess they when maybe, they were searching for him, right? And I guess maybe they tied it to him, you know. So that's scary. Like, right? So Forrester received a six-year sentence for the attacks on the two women to be served concurrently, you know, with his sentence for Taylor's murder. Yeah, that's another word I don't like. Concurrently. Yeah. So, but. Forrester's DNA is registered in the databank, and it will stay there. He also has a lifetime firearms prohibition, so he's not allowed to have a gun. Ever. Well, I mean, that's like a you can't have one if you're convicted felon. I mean, unless you have one illegally, because your wife is right. But I mean, the same thing. Um, and he is also not allowed to contact either victim directly or indirectly. So what do you mean? Oh, from oh, because there was two. I was like, she's not here anymore. Right, but you're talking about the two assault. Yeah. Apparently, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police announced the link between Forrester, Taylor, uh, Taylor Van Dyke's murder and the assault on the escort in 2012, when Forrester was charged, like when he was arrested. Uh-huh. However, there was a publication ban during his murder trial, during his trial for the murder of Taylor that prevented the jury from learning that DNA 
that was collected from Taylor allowed police to link him to the 2005 sexual assault. They didn't allow that, so they suppressed that. They didn't allow that in court, but that speaks to his violence and his... Yes. His, um, what's the word that you used earlier? Uh, his tendency? No, it wasn't tendencies. What was it? It's going to drive me nuts now. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what word you used. But anyway, I mean, it speaks to his, I mean, his track record, basically. Right. You know, and that he obviously has a proclivity for violence, you know? Mm-mm. So. That's brutal. Right. So that was just a really, really sad case. And I, and I find it really sad that Halloween was her favorite holiday. And she died on Halloween. And she died on Halloween. Like a very brute, just just so brutal, and she and she suffered. You know, mm-hmm. she probably suffered. I mean, she was still alive, yeah. Right, and and I I've read, and I'm gonna paraphrase because I don't have the direct quote, but her dad told one of the, um, one of the newspapers, you know, that just going through the trial was so hard because all he kept thinking about was that she suffered, and yeah. he's like, I wish, and I then could. all the pictures, right. I'm sure they showed, and, and he's like. Her dad said, you know, I wish I could have just taken her place so that she wouldn't have to go through that. This reminds me of Taylor Williams Mm -hmm. and his poor mom. Right. Right. You know, when she got the the, uh, private investigator, Mm -hmm. she opened autopsy photos that she didn't know were autopsy photos. So, you know. So, folks, that's the case of the murder of Taylor Van Deese. Thank you for listening to Homicide Homegirls. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you want to be the first to know when an episode is released, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Homicide Homegirls, Facebook at facebook.com slash Homicide Homegirls Podcast, and Twitter at Homegirls Pod. If you would like to suggest an episode, Use the form located on our Facebook page. Once a month, we plan to answer fan-submitted questions in a segment we like to call hashtag AskTheHomeGirls. So be sure to use the form on our Facebook page to submit your questions. 